This show is about your mental health. While it's supported by the pillars of positivity and hope, if you find yourself in crisis, please reach out for help. In many communities in both the United States and Canada, you can dial 211 to be connected to mental health and crisis services in your region. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. Hi there, Kevin Frankish here. This is part two of uh, episode two. We have been talking about addiction, and it has been a real eye-opener for me as well because I've always known that there's been a stigma for mental health, and we've been working on that, and things are getting better. But addiction has its own stigma, and that's not getting better. In fact, it might be getting worse. The stigma is, is that you're a loser. It's your fault. You got yourself into this problem, you get yourself out. Well, it's not that easy, and it's not that easy an answer. Addiction is a serious problem, and once someone is an addict, it's highly unlikely they're going to be able to get themselves out of it. So we need to talk about it, and we need to talk about the stigma, and we need to let people know you're not a loser. You have a problem, a challenge, and it needs to be fixed, and you need help. This episode, by the way, brought to you by City Parent, Canada's largest award-winning free regional parenting magazine, serving families for 35 years. Visit cityparent.com and enter our sign-up-to-win contest for a chance to win a Craftsman Toolkit valued at $449.99. For all things for your family, click on cityparent.com today. So last episode, I started a conversation with Millie Day. She lives north of London, England. Found out she was an alcohol and drug addict long after everyone else around her already knew. And now she helps others get their lives back. And this is a woman of action, believe me. Here's part two of my talk with Millie. Millie, let's talk now about the stigma of addiction. It is interesting because people do have this perception of an alcoholic. You know, they think of a man... Old man usually lying on a park bench drinking cheap lager out of a brown paper bag. And yeah, I have seen people as young as 21, maybe even younger actually. Um, and I have seen a lot of women and I have befriended a lot of women. And yeah, it's, it certainly helped me get rid of that bias or that, that um, impression that I had of what constitutes an alcoholic. And um, yeah, it's one thing that I really love is that I would never come across these people in day-to-day -day life. You know, I've met people that I would never have otherwise met. And I love having friends or, or, or being in a room full of people in such a diverse space. You know, everyone's so different. And I think that's actually what makes life more interesting. You know, I, I now have friends, not all of them are friends, you know, but I now have friends and acquaintances from all walks of life, different ages, different backgrounds, different nationalities, and that's fantastic. Um, and it doesn't matter how different we are, we have this one thing that connects us, that, that bonds us. And when I go into a meeting now, I can know absolutely nobody, and yet I feel like I know everybody, because I know 
because like I say, we have this thing that connects us. So yeah, it's, it's wonderful. I mean, I can, I can say a lot of bad stuff about addiction, but I can also say I had a lot of good stuff. And in a way, as crazy as it sounds, I'm grateful now to be an alcoholic because I know that I can do something about it. I can never stop being an alcoholic. I don't believe I can ever go back to drinking, but I know what I, I can do in order to work on myself. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. <laughs> and then some. So, so um, we're in this time of a pandemic where a lot of us are isolated, lonely. Um, there, there. I mean, we have seen, and the reports are that that the the number of people drinking has increased significantly. Uh, their their length of time drinking is increasing significantly. Use of drugs, anything like that. What are we looking for? You you've you've now had a chance to examine this. Uh, you've looked at the spiritual side of things as well. As we have that glass, that glass of wine or that beer or whatever, and then we have another, and then we have another, what are we looking for? Hmm. What are we looking for when we turn to alcohol? Do you mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, before it, it, it hits that tipping point where it becomes a problem, what are we looking for, do you think? Hmm. It's an interesting question because I think for everybody that tipping point is, it can happen very subtly. I don't know for me what the tipping point was, but I know when I'd had enough. I think a lot of people are drinking more in lockdown and using other substances, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're an alcoholic or an addict. I think when you realize it's causing so much more harm than good, it's clearly problematic. And I mean, there are these questions online. I don't believe that anybody else can diagnose you either, by the way. I believe it has to come from you. I had to come to terms with or decide myself that that was my problem. But I know plenty of people who I think could probably do with seeking help. However, as I said earlier, they have to come to that realization themselves. However, there are some questions online. Um, again, I can send you the link later. If you think that you might have a problem, there are some questions that you can answer. And there are things like, you know, have you ever been late to work because you've been uh, drinking the night before? Are your family starting to complain about the amount you drink? You know, are you starting to feel feelings of guilt, shame and regret? Is, are you having to borrow money to fund your drinking habit? Are you having to, do you get violent when you're drunk? Do you have blackouts? And when I read these, I thought, God, doesn't this apply to everyone? Doesn't everyone do <laughs> Wow. I really thought that was just standard behavior. I thought everybody had blackouts when they drank. You know, I didn't realize that that was actually quite unusual. <laughs> so um, these questions can help. Um, and it, it really takes a certain, it takes a certain amount of courage to look at these questions too. Exactly. exactly. Because as soon as you look at them, you're, you're admitting to yourself, maybe... And mm. a lot of people don't want to do that. So I'm not going to look at those questions. Yeah. You have to want it. That's the thing. We talk in these, um, mm. you know, in the fellowship that I'm in about the gift of desperation. You have to really want to stop drinking. And, uh, and if you don't, then uh, there's nothing that I can say or that you can say or that anybody else that can say that will get that person sober or to look at their behavior. It has to come from them. Um, there's that expression, you can drag a horse to the water, but you can't make it drink. I very much think that applies here. 
Um, yeah, the, the thing is, though, is we're doing it for a reason. And I think that, that there might be some sort of fear that if we don't drink, if we don't reach for that bottle, well, what takes its place? Hmm. Um, why are I we guess, doing it? Yeah, it depends on the reason. So some people might be doing it because they're bored. Mm-hmm. Some people might be doing it because they're lonely. Some people might be doing it because they're stressed or anxious. There are so many reasons why we might be drinking during a pandemic. And by the way, I am not saying any of this with any judgment because (laughs) I don't blame people for having a few extra drinks right now. Um, And it's not surprising to me. Um, So I guess, first of all, looking at your reasons for drinking more, let's say it's because you're lonely, which I think a lot of people are because we're being forced to spend time uh, in socialize, uh, we're being forced to isolate. So if it's because you're lonely, then what's going to replace that? Anything which allows for human connection. I know it's not necessarily possible for people to meet. I'm in a fortunate position where I've got nature all around me. I'll show you later if you like, give you a little tour. <laughs> but, um, you know, I have, I have nature on my doorstep, so I'm able to meet friends and go for walks. I don't know what the situation right now is in Canada, but we're allowed to meet um, one person and go for a walk here. Thank goodness. So I try and, um, I try and get that, that social connection um, through meeting people for walks but I'm aware that not everybody has that opportunity, but just anything that allows for connection with other people, whether it's on the phone, ideally it's face-to-face, because I think there's no real substitute face-to-face. But obviously, if you're not able to meet people face-to-face, then phone calls, Zoom calls, anything where you're you're interacting with another human being. Um, But let's say you're drinking instead because you're stressed. Um, Again, I think this is extremely common, extremely normal and acceptable right now to be feeling pretty stressed. Um, what would be a healthy substitute? I guess something like yoga. You know, that what that works very well for me. I'm aware it doesn't work for everybody, but I find yoga, especially yin yoga, which is the very kind of slow one, extremely calming. Walking, again, not for everyone. You know, this is why I said actually, when I uh, wrote to you before that I don't like giving advice because it's so different for each individual. You know, and I hate telling people what they should be doing because I think everybody, everybody functions in different ways, but I'll, I'll happily share what works for me. So moving my body, you know, whether it's dancing, yoga, walking, jogging, all these things really help to calm me down. The more I move my body, the more active I am, the more still I feel inside. Uh, meditation, I'm sure lots of people have already spoken about that on your podcast um, breathing, um, breath work has really helped me. I mean, there are so many things. Talking, just talking, just opening up about our, our stresses instantly takes the power away. You know, the more I talk, <laughs> the better I feel. <laughs> um, and what were the other reasons that I said earlier for drinking? Maybe people are doing it, yeah, because they're bored. I think it's interesting to look at what's beneath the boredom. You know, because boredom in itself isn't threatening. But what's underneath that? There's obviously an inability to sit with oneself and with one's feelings and emotions. So I think it can be interesting to really look at what's actually underneath the boredom and what that feeling of discomfort is about. Um, and it's interesting because sitting with discomfort has been a real theme for me this year because I hate 
feeling uncomfortable. I hate waiting. I hate not being certain of things. And I hate not being in control of those things. And of course, since the start of the pandemic, you know, I've had to face the fact that I'm not in control, that I cannot um, guarantee any particular outcome. You know, there is no certainty and um, that I will have to wait, you know, that I, I have no choice but to sit and wait. And so that's been a bit of a theme for me since the start of last year, just sitting with discomfort. But we have to do it. We can't keep running away. It's not going to serve us in the long term. And I think if we learn to sit with discomfort, it does make us more resilient and stronger. So, yeah, gosh, what else? God, there are so many reasons. There are so many reasons why we drink. And there are so many. I could list a, a lot more alternatives. Um, but I'm aware we don't have all that much time. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to now let's get into how far you have taken this into helping others. We're going to talk about walking. Recovery yes. trekking, you yes. call it. And by the way, just for my listeners, next week on the program, uh, Dan Rubenstein, who is the author of Born to Walk, The Transformative Power of the Pedestrian Act, is going to be joining me. He's going to be talking to us about what happens when we go for a walk and what it does. It's not just going for a walk and it's not just a bit of exercise. There's a lot more happening. And you discovered this and now are using it to help others. So Recovery trekking, what is that? Mm -hmm. Recovery trekking, okay, so this was all very serendipitous actually. Um, I was living in Berlin at the time. As I say, I've lived and traveled mm -hmm. in many different countries. Um, and I had met a woman um, whose name is Sparrow. Interesting name, she's from Alaska. And, um, Sounds like a spy. Yeah, she's definitely <laughs> Okay, all right, just <laughs> oh, checking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> She, um, she and I actually met in the rooms um, in France and uh, I, had, I had actually just lost a job. You know, I had just lost my job in Berlin. Um, and about a week later, Sparrow gave me a call and she said to me, Millie, I'm thinking of starting up a new business. And I sat and I listened to her. And she told me that this business idea um, was going to revolve around taking people in early recovery um, on pilgrimages, specifically the pilgrimage in Spain, which is the Camino de Santiago, mm -hmm. um, de Compostela. And um, it was going to be, it was gonna consist of walking, meditation and 12 step work and be aimed at people who had perhaps tried rehab and for whom it hadn't worked or for people who just really liked the idea of something a bit different. Um, of being in nature, of walking, of a more spiritual approach. So um, I actually, it was off the back of that article that I wrote for Cosmopolitan that we got our first client. And um, Sparrow, so yeah, sorry, I skipped a bit. Sparrow asked me if I would be a trekking guide or a recovery guide um, for the company. And I was just delighted. I mean, when we had that phone call, I remember going to bed that night and not being able to sleep. I felt like a child at Christmas. It was like, it was like a dream come true, honestly. I was so excited. So I just couldn't believe it had happened. But anyway, so we um, took our first client out, Sparrow and myself. Um, it was April, not last year, obviously, the year before, April 2019, or March maybe, around that time. And it's again, it's hard to put into words, but... 
when when you spend the whole day walking from A to B, and when that's all that kind of becomes important in your life, you know, you're just walking. And when you get to your destination, you eat and you change and you shower and you go to bed and then you wake up in the morning and you do a meditation and you begin walking again and with some step work in between your life just becomes so much more simple I think for me that was the beauty of it you know you stop stressing you stop feeling anxious you stop worrying about what's on your to-do list you stop worrying about the people that you haven't you know texted back or whatever you you carry a small bag with two t-shirts two pairs of leggings, um, some washing powder and some snacks um, and some underwear, obviously. And, you know, everything just becomes so incredibly simple. And you realize you just don't need all this extra stuff. You know, we live in a world where we think we need the next best thing. We're always looking for the next best thing to fix us, to fill us up. And so part of it for me was just this stripping back and realizing that life could be so fulfilling and actually so much more calming and less anxiety inducing when there's less to think or worry about because there's just less going on um it was also a, an incredibly ex a spiritual experience because it was a spiritual place or is a spiritual place um again that sense that, that word that word spiritual and i'm sorry to yeah. interrupt that word spiritual scares people sometimes because yeah it, and they're also yeah they, they have visions of of, well, I'm not a religious person. No, no, no. We're, there's, there's a complete difference between spirituality and religion. Mm. I find it really hard to define spirituality. For me, it's got nothing to do with religion, though. I think you can be both spiritual and religious, but you can also be spiritual and not be religious, and you can also be religious and not be spiritual. For me, spirituality is this idea that we are all connected. You know, it's this, it's this notion of interconnectedness. Um, and that's the feeling that I had on this pilgrimage. You know, I felt like, because you are, sorry if it sounds cheesy and cliche, but you are at one with nature all of a sudden. And stop, stop saying that. Stop saying it's cheesy. You know, and I think we do our, we do ourselves a disservice is we, is we, we, we sort of almost perpetuate the stigma against spirituality and nature mm. as though, you know, it, it, I don't want anyone to know, but we're actually a part of nature. You know, we're actually, know, yeah, you're, we're right, actually you're, right. you're actually animals, right? We actually are. Exactly. <laughs> but we keep denying that. And, and, and I don't yeah. mean to admonish you here, but I, I, you know, I think it's important for everyone to realize we got to stop being ashamed of realizing that we're a part of this universe. We're, we're not I segregated from it. Yeah. So I, I apologize. I, I apologize. No, it's okay. And it's interesting that you mentioned that about nature because I go on a lot of walks around here. And as I mentioned before, there is a lot of nature just on my doorstep. I'm very lucky to have that. And I feel, actually, it's interesting what we were saying about the reasons that people drink, you know, loneliness, stress, anxiety, boredom. All of that for me goes away when I go for a walk in nature. I don't feel lonely. I feel connected. I feel connected to something that's real and that's meaningful to me. I feel calm. I feel like it's medicine for my soul. And I, I've said that, I think I might've said it in the message I wrote to you, but it really is. It's just like, what it does for me is just, I can't even put it into words. So I guess this was another reason why Sparrow asked me to be a recovery guy because she knew how much walking meant to me and she knew that it would help and benefit others. Um, and on this trail, you meet other people 
and people are doing this this pilgrimage for all kinds of different reasons um but again it's a bit like the fellowship that I was describing earlier you've all got this thing that binds you that connects you um you've all got this shared love or shared desire to walk for miles on end each day and yes it can be painful and difficult and hugely challenging but it's also rewarding beyond belief and it kind of ties in with what I said about sitting with discomfort you learn to push through you learn to push through the discomfort and then come out stronger the other end and we were only walking for about a week. And yet the difference that I noticed in myself, in the woman um, whose name I'm not going to mention because she's chosen to remain anonymous, but in, in that woman. And yeah, it was just unbelievable. I can't even explain what it was. I can't explain what it was, but I guess it's a combination of walking, being in nature, life being stripped back, the connections you make with other people and just being in this unbelievably spiritual and magical place. Um, and now talking about it is just making me want to do it again. <laughs> <laughs> what happens on these walks? What, what transpires from morning till night inside your head? I mean, you do a lot of thinking. <laughs> you do a lot of thinking. I actually went on a pilgrimage prior to this one um, in Italy. And I was with somebody else, but he walked quite a lot faster than me. So I would end up walking on my own for most of the day. And I chose to listen to, I did listen to some music, but I chose to kind of just listen to my thoughts a lot of the time um, because I was aware of stuff coming up and I didn't want to just push it out. I felt like it was happening for a reason. And this, this was actually a longer pilgrimage. This lasted about two and a half weeks. And it was quite amazing what came up because all you're doing is walking throughout the day. You are just walking. So essentially it's a meditation. It's not a seated meditation, but it's the same kind of thing. It's this repetitive, uh, you know, you're in repetitive motion that just allows you to kind of travel somewhere else in your, in your mind, if that makes sense. And I've always preferred dynamic meditation to seated meditation because I, I find it's more calming for me personally. Again, everyone's different. But um, yeah, for me, it was like two and a half weeks of meditation. And you do feel raw by the end of it. You do feel emotional. I actually arrived in Rome on the final day and I planned to spend a day and a night in Rome exploring the city. And my senses were so heightened because we'd been traveling or walking, sorry, in silence for two and a half weeks that by the time I got to Rome, I couldn't handle the sound of the traffic. I couldn't handle seeing all these cars pass in front of me. I ended up sitting on a park bench. This is a little bit sad. In a park in Rome with my head in my hands, with earplugs in my ears, just kind of blocking it all out. Because all of a sudden I was so sensitive to the noise, the, the sights, all the colours, all the smells, all the people everywhere. So... Yeah, I, I guess it left me quite fragile for a while. But when I got back to Berlin, where I was living at the time, um, I, I realized that I had a lot of emotions that I had been unconsciously burying and they had risen to the surface. And it actually prompted me to go and see a therapist, which I still do now. I see a different therapist. But it was a really interesting way into therapy. You know, I never thought that going on a long walk would help me see that... Um, yeah, that I, I might want to go into therapy, which is something that I'm 
a huge fan of. It's helped me massively. Again, I think prior to the pandemic, there was a bit of a stigma around therapy too. But now it seems like um, everybody's looking for a therapist of some kind. <laughs> and it helps me realize that I'm going into the right line of work because when I um, stopped working for recovery trekking, I embarked on a different journey, which is the, uh, the wonderful world of dance and movement psychotherapy. And that's what I'm doing at the moment. So, yeah. I, I think it's wonderful because, you know, and I've, I argue this all the time, meditation, our, our, our concept of what meditation is, is, is sitting on some mountaintop in Nepal, uh, uh, reciting, you know, chanting, um, and, and, mm. and, completely submersing ourselves and being alone. That's not meditation. Meditation is just anything that makes you look inward and be in the present for a period of time. And you use the word simple. I love that because meditation is all about being simple. It's brushing away the future. It's brushing away the past. It's Mm -hmm. putting you, it's putting you in the present. So I think you gave yourself that chance uh, you know, almost forcing yourself to listen to yourself and talk to yourself exactly. and, and, and yeah. discover yourself. And there, there's a lot as well, biologically, to taking a walk in nature. This is not just because, oh my gosh, aren't the trees pretty? And that, there's actually scientific evidence. And a few, uh, a little while back, I talked with Professor Michael White from the University of Exeter, and he had done a study on nature and he found that 120 minutes spent in nature over, I believe it was a week, has a significant impact, a good impact on your physical health. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to, you don't have to open your eyes. Even if you just being within nature does that simplicity. Well, I get about 120 hours a day. So I'm obviously on the right track. (laughs) Um, So Sorry, 120 minutes, not hours. 120 hours. I was going to say, but that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, how about now? How do you feel? Um, you have this, this energy about you. Do you have that energy all the time? What happens yes. when, that, when that energy wanes? I have energy all the time. I'm like a Duracell bunny. It's actually a bit <laughs> of a problem. Well, it's not a problem. I think now it's perfect because I'm training to be a dance and movement psychotherapist. But oh. in the times where I've been doing office work or studying at university, I I find I struggle just to stay still for a long period of time. Um, and I think it's just, I, I don't know what the reason is. I just have a lot of natural energy. And I think it's both a blessing and a curse, actually. <laughs> Because as I say, sometimes I do just struggle to stay still for long periods of time, but most of the time I, I see it as a positive. Um, are there times when, you know, that, that almost a little bit of depression takes or, or a lot, I don't, I don't know. Are there times though, where you still sit down to this day because, you, you know, sometimes those thoughts take over again? Hmm. Yeah. And I, and I actually welcome that, you know, I actually try now to sit down and just slow down. In fact, it was good practice for me sitting here and waiting to begin this when I thought we were doing it an hour earlier. Yeah. For the, for, okay, so a little bit of a backstory <laughs> here. I was supposed to interview you and what did I do? Hey, as I said- What you, did you I do? Just, just tell me, tell me okay. what, tell the folks what I did. 
You slept through your yeah, alarm. I slept through my alarm. I I <laughs> did say afterwards uh, that it helped me help me relax. It was a nice reminder that we're all human, and um, <laughs> and as you said, you know, we shouldn't be beating ourselves up for these things. So I hope you took your own advice. <laughs> I do, I do. You, okay, <laughs> we had talked about that before we had come on about about how yeah. we think of ourselves, and mm-hmm. um, for instance, if we were sitting here having tea and you spilled the tea. I wouldn't look at you and say, you idiot, Millie, why would you do that? Oh, you've made a mess. No, I would say, oh, Millie, don't worry about it. Let me just go get a cloth. I'll clean that up. Can I get you another tea? But we don't give that same courtesy to ourselves. We will call mm-hmm. ourselves the idiot. And we will, we will realize what a stupid thing is that we, we just did. So you talk a lot about being gentle with yourself. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a really important thing. Um, But just to quickly address your point earlier, I was saying that that also, that hour that I had where I was sitting here was actually really helpful because I would never have sat down for an hour before going on to a show like this. I'd have been running around doing things up (laughs) until the last minute. So actually it was really nice just having that hour just to sit and to be. So that's addressing that point. So so with my future guests, I should delay... Everything oh, yeah. for like an hour or two. Okay. All right. Yeah, definitely. Good, good advice. Awesome to sit and do some, <laughs> yeah, not awesome, but you know, I think it's healthy. I think it's healthy to just sit and do nothing, not even do meditation, just to do nothing. And as I say, I find it challenging, but I think that the things that we find challenging are the things we ought to be doing, right? Like I, I would normally be keeping myself very busy, but it's when we stop, that's when we actually tune into ourselves and listen um and also I just noticed sitting here for an hour I started breathing normally you know whereas before I was in a sort of slightly heightened state as I said I was a bit nervous but I sat and I was just without consciously changing my breathing I I began to realize that I was just breathing normally and not like (gasps) which can so often be the case for me because that time allowed you to engage your parasympathetic nervous system and uh, allow your body to naturally de-stress Exactly. So thank you, Kevin, for being late. <laughs> you, you are you, more than welcome. <laughs> you helped me more than you realized. Uh, oh, anyway, boy. You're, you're, you're sorry. Your second point was about being gentle with ourselves. Sorry, I'm jumping around. Yes. But, no, um, that's okay. Um, yeah, so important because, as I mentioned before, we started the show, you know, shame is a really useless tool. Um, shame is not going to get out. If we shame ourselves, that's not going to allow for change. If we tell ourselves that we are bad, then we're gonna we're gonna believe that, and that doesn't allow for change. Um, you know, I can acknowledge that I have done something bad or something silly, but it doesn't mean that I am bad or silly or clumsy or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I I remember I used to, well, I still am really bad with the directions. I've got a very bad sense of direction. That I just did it. You see, I'm really bad with directions. I'll change uh take that back and say that um i struggle i guess with directions it does not make me bad but i used to really beat myself up for this i used to say god you idiot why can't you just get this right you know it's so easy what's wrong with you did it help me did it help me learn my way around any better no it was completely and utterly futile so what do i do i accept it I'm not saying that's always easy, but I think if we can accept the things about us that we can't change, 
then we don't get so affected by them. And now I laugh at myself. I think laughter is another very powerful tool not to take ourselves so seriously, not to take you know, our, our lives so seriously and just to add a bit of laughter and a bit of humor because yeah, I can't change the fact that my sense of direction sucks, but I can change the way I, I look at that and my attitude towards it. Um, and that might seem like quite a trivial example. There are other examples. But for everything that we don't like about ourselves, it's not going to help to shame ourselves for it. And the same applies with other people. You know, if I don't like something about my mom or my sister or my best friend, I'm not going to shame them into changing because it's, I know it's not going to work. So, um, yeah, be, treat others, treat yourself, sorry, how you would treat others. Yeah, I mean, if, if, the, the thing is, is when it comes to direction, I am Google. I am I am incredible at direction. Uh, yeah. I, I I can go to any new locality and and find my way around within thirty minutes after being there. I'm incredible at it. I am a terrible dancer. So uh, <laughs> so you know, from the sounds of it, I'm and my guess is you're an incredible dancer. You know, so we I all. I don't think I am actually. I don't <laughs> well, think I am. I just you've got to be better. Than, okay, you've got to be better than me, and I can say that with, with without problem. But but my point is is that we may lack in some cases, but we got to remind ourselves. Hey, I may not be good at direction, but I'm a I'm a damn good dancer, or I enjoy dancing. I hate dancing. Mm. I hate mm. you. You <gasps> obviously enjoy it. You see, look at you. Look at the way you just you just said to me. You just, oh, how dare you? How can you not how like dancing? How dare you? <laughs> I can't imagine it. I can't imagine the yeah. dancing. But as you say, we're all different. And I can't understand anybody not knowing direction. <laughs> so, you know, and, and I think that that's what we need to remind ourselves about is, is that we are, we're here for a reason. We, we, have, we have things that we're good at, things we're not very good at, things that we're weak at as well. And I think you've also helped people to realize that. And for that, I mean, I have to thank you um, for people listening right now. I hope that they, they've, I know that they've gotten something out of what you've said. Um, but I think uh, just to take a weakness. So for you, a weakness would be drugs and alcohol, but to run with that weakness and, and to show the world, look, here's a weakness, but you know what? I'm, I'm working, I'm working on it. And I want to help you work on it. You could have chosen to work by yourself, but you're helping other people as well. And so we get back to that, that C word we use all the time. And that is community and mm. people realizing you are not alone and you help people realize that. And I think you've, you've helped yourself realize that by helping others. Mm. But I'd just like to say, I don't even necessarily think that addiction or resorting to drugs and alcohol is a sign of weakness, actually, okay. because I think a lot of the time, if you look at somebody's life um it makes a lot of sense you know i i have met people who have been abused as children who have had a horrific upbringing for example who have i don't know been raped or had some really horrific things happen in their life and they have used uh drugs and alcohol as a coping mechanism as i said earlier you know my experience was different because i had a very happy upbringing but i still don't see what i did my you know, the, the fact that I resorted to drugs and alcohol as a weakness, I see it as a coping mechanism. Mm. Um, and I believe that if somebody seeks help for addiction, that is an incredible sign of strength. Um, and I think the more we sort of uh, promote this view that addiction is weak, the less likely people are to seek help because they'll feel, again, shame and 
maybe feelings of not being worthy, which are all the feelings that I had actually prior to uh, prior to getting help. You know, when I did that thing to my ex-partner, I just felt so much shame and so much self-loathing. And, you know, now I can say that I'm actually quite proud of myself. I mean, I've had a lot of help, obviously, um, both from family and friends and also the people in in the rooms of this 12-step fellowship. But I've also, yeah, I feel like I've also, you know, got got a reason to be proud of, of me. Um, so as you say, it's, you know, we've all got strengths, we've all got weaknesses. Um, I don't see that as one of my weaknesses. I think the direction thing is definitely a weakness. <laughs> <laughs> I am incredibly disorganized. That's a weakness. Um, you know, I, I, I can't do math to save my life. That's a weakness, but I don't really see my addiction as a weakness, mm. but I do see my ability to overcome it as a strength. So it's interesting, isn't it? How we all view these things differently. Thank you so much for correcting me because, you know, I, I tout all the time when you live with depression or you have a mental health issue that you're not weak. It's, mm. it, it's part of being a sickness. And here I am, you know, saying wrongly that this was a weakness and, and not more a cry for help or, 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 or a sickness. So thank you for that. I could talk to you for hours. We could, we could do like a a 10 part series. I think. Can we please? I would love that. I'm really (laughs) enjoying this conversation. I I think you are fascinating. I think you're a wonderful person. I, I, I envy you in so many ways for that, for that self-discovery that, that you have made and continue to make because it's something that doesn't, doesn't stop. I wish you well. I'm going to pass on all the links that I need to in just a moment. So people stay tuned. Final words, final words of encouragement to those out there who reach for that bottle out of whether it's boredom or whatever. Final words of encouragement. Well, you, you often say on your podcast, you know, you are not alone. I've heard you say that many times. And that is probably exactly what I would say you know I would echo that you are not alone there is help available out there there are 12-step fellowships there are rehabs there are online forums um, and now online meetings as well you know that's the brilliant thing actually about this pandemic is it means that I can now access meetings anywhere in the world from the comfort of my own bedroom I can do them in my pajamas and if you're feeling shy or self-conscious you can switch your camera off you don't have to share you know, there is help out there. There are plenty of places and people that you can turn to. I even wouldn't mind giving my my number or email address if people wanted to reach out to me because I'm always more than happy to help people or just to be an ear. You know, I think one of the most powerful things, and I think I mentioned this to you earlier, is listening. One of the most powerful and helpful and effective things that we can do in this day and age is just be there for someone, be an ear and listen. Um... But also there are those questions that I mentioned, so I can I can send you the link for those. And if people do have concerns about their drinking and are willing to face it, then they might want to have a look at those questions and then see where to go from there. All right. No, you were about to say something else. Um, I think I've actually already said pretty much everything I want to say. But just again, be kind to yourself. Don't beat yourself up. That's that. I'm going to keep saying that because I want it to. <laughs> I want to drum it into people's heads. (laughs) We have to say these things over and over again in order to rewire our brains. And I think low self-esteem is something that plagues most alcoholics and addicts. So it's a case of saying on repeat, I am worthy. I'm a decent, you know, uh, human being. 
um, and, and just positive affirmations over and over and over until you finally believe it. It's only now, after almost six years of being in recovery, that I can say I actually quite like myself as a person. You know, I spent a lot more of my life feeling like I wasn't worthy, like not good enough, um, not, you know, whatever enough, just this feeling of not being enough. And only now is that finally beginning to subside. I mean, it still happens. It's still, you know, that voice in my head that tells me, oh, you know, whatever it tells me, still comes up from time to time. But I also know deep down that I am a good person and I am kind and loving and I have a lot to offer. So even if I can't get my directions right, who cares? <laughs> you give me a call. I will help you. All right. Uh, Millie Dade, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you. For links to Millie's articles, please visit thehappymolecule.com and click on links. Listen, if you think you may have a problem, things will only get worse if you ignore it. I want you to think of all the time you've spent on this earth. Is this what you want your legacy to be? Addiction is 100% treatable with a variety of treatments and solutions. None of them will work, however, without you. It is going to take work. It won't be easy. But keep repeating to yourself, you're worth it. In fact, if you make the choice right now to reach out, you're already better off than you were yesterday. The journey of a thousand miles, my friends, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. I know you can do it, but you can't do it alone. Not sure where to start? Well, call your doctor, go to a walk-in clinic, or visit connexontario.ca. That's C-O-N-N-E-X-O-N-T-A. Oh, well, you know how to spell Ontario. That's C-O-N-N-E-X-Ontario.ca. You can find help near you. That is an incredible service. I've just found out about it. So until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode. Be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook Live show, and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Erin Davis, wishing you good mental health. <laughs>